What's up, y'all? My name is Jake. And my name is Carl. And you're listening to Do You Even Lift Bro? Men Exercising Social Justice. Thanks for staying tuned as Carl and I will be talking about the continuum of harm. How are you, Carl? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, we actually just finished one, so I'm kind of hype off of it. How about yourself? Yeah, I think um, recording one before this made me feel a little more confident going into this one and talking about it more. For sure. You mentioned that this episode is about the continuum of harm. So what do you mean by the continuum of harm? Um, I think about how we view, I guess, masculinity in the ways of that we f- view like harming ourselves and harming others. Like, I imagining, imagining who is causing harm and what the images that pop into my brain when they cause harm. So when you imagine a dude causing harm, what do you see, Carl? Um, you know, the immediate thoughts that pop into my head are dudes like Brock Turner, the Stanford rapist and uh, Dylan Roof, you know, who shot killed nine black and African-American people in Charleston, South Carolina at a historically, at a historic church in general, but um, a historic black church. So sort of the image that comes to my mind is definitely like violent men terrorizing and killing people. And unfortunately that particular list is stupid long. Yeah. Like includes like a lot of other shootings like Columbine, Aurora theater shooting, um, even this um, Mandalay Bay, Las Vegas shooter. And so, yeah, the, you like you said, the list is super long. I think we have to kind of talk about where does the continuum of harm begin and where, did, where does it end? The thoughts that stem from this is I feel like sometimes when engaging with an identity work, for me, I think sometimes we think about these like white frat dudes that are causing harm instead of these like less like kind of nerdy and outcasts and they're not viewed as these like social giants and these social beings that I think we associate with these fraternity men or these like kind of dude bros, so to speak. I feel like sometimes that kind of is thrown into the weeds of like men that aren't that way are viewed as like weak and not masculine whatsoever. And they kind of shrink their credibility with that. Is that, is that making any sense? A little. Yeah. Like one thing what you're trying to express is there's obvious examples of harm in our world. And so when I think about a continuum on the upper end of that harm is people like who are convicted of harm, like killing people and mass murderers. Um, That's obvious. And what makes some of this masculinity work difficult is when it's easy to point at some of this obvious harm, then it gets much less easy. It's harder to point at like the other end of the spectrum, which would be like watching porn, for example, which doesn't seem like it creates a whole lot of harm on the surface. But the act of watching porn happens way, way, way more frequently than the other end of the spectrum of causing direct harm to people. Right. And then I also think about when we view this continuum of harm, we're not even surprised by the things that come up with it. Um, For me, I've been asking myself, like, why were we surprised about Charlottesville when I think me coming at it as like from a white perspective, like why other white people were so surprised about Charlottesville? I don't think people of color like weren't surprised or even really like moved that much by it. I don't know. But what are your perspective on that? Yeah, uh, Charlottesville and even the Trump election. I don't know if it was a huge surprise as much as it was shocking. We I mean, I understood very much that this undercurrent of white supremacy has always been present 
in my life and the lives of my friends. And so to see some of the overt acts might be super surprising to a lot of people who don't have that level of exposure or have the privilege of whiteness to not have to pay attention to that stuff. I can see how that's surprising, but it definitely wasn't surprising. I think in the same sense to a lot of communities of color, the reaction is probably much more around fear of like, holy crap, like this Charlottesville thing is a direct result of the Trump election because now there's these emboldened white men who are much less afraid of the stigma of being white nationalisms or Nazis. And, you know, showing up on campus a lot too, like there's tons of anti-Semitism and Nazi symbols all over campus. There's a noose in Newsome. I feel like this year in particular, there's much more incidents of overt harm like that end of the spectrum. And I think the more that that happens, the harder it is to get to the dude who's like, but I'm not a bad guy. I would never draw a swastika on somebody, some Jewish person's door. I would never even think to construct a noose and hang it in front of the one black male RA in our, in our residence hall. And then turns around and like calls a woman a bitch for rejecting him because he asked her on a date or whatever, you know? I think it's good to say like, like you wouldn't do that, but like you still have privilege to the point of like, if you did something like, yeah, like turn around and call someone a bitch or specifically a woman, which is just awful. But like, I think they're like having privilege really connects to this continuum of harm. Like, I think it's really important to think about how pr- power and privileges functions and how it upholds this continuum of harm and how it makes it even exist. And I think about, yeah, like how, how we're socialized to think about this continuum of harm. Like, yeah, like pornography is probably like an early step on this continuum and then it can lead to so many other things. Even our privileges as just people in general can show that this is like such a blinding thing. Like for me as like a white hetero dude, watching porn, it was usually not something that was like, oh, this is not that bad. And then I kept learning like how it functions within rape culture. And then I was like, oh no, this is bad. <laughs> yeah. If there's power dynamics, it's bad. But yeah, like porn, porn is basically propaganda for rape culture. Right. Yeah. Just like illustrated rape mm-hmm. and how, if you can notice these early stages of like, oh, this is bad, then there's something, I guess, good there. I think like if you notice that, oh, pornography is bad or watching, I guess, I mean, uh, pornography is like the one I'm thinking about right now or like thinking about like hateful language. Like if you think early on that that's bad and then I think you're in a decent boat. And I think this manifests in dudes particularly saying, what's the big deal about saying guys to a group of mixed gendered individuals that's on the lower end of the continuum of harm. Well, Mm -hmm. if, if you identify as a woman in that particular space, and you feel made invisible by that phrasing, well, then your measurement of what is harm is very different from your measurement of what is harm if you're a dude in that situation. And I think that's kind of what we want to talk about. We need to adjust privileged people's understanding of harm to the understanding of harm of marginalized groups in order for some empathy to come in, for listening to come in, and to understand where your identities are making you blind. The very definition of privilege is that you don't actually experience that harm, Mm -hmm. right? That's part of our work. This restructuring of masculinities will hopefully bring about some level of empathy to the struggles of people who are harmed by language, who are harmed by very subtle actions, things that we were taught as men specifically not to worry about, like taking notes at a meeting, for example, like looking toward a woman to do that.
that is a type of harm that we perpetrate. I think this conversation of continuum of harm is very important in the sense that all of it is bad, right? Like, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think it's tough to convince people that the Las Vegas shootings, like every mass shooting basically is perpetrated by men, right? There's been like six or something since uh, Sandy Hook yeah. that were perpetrated by women. And there's been one basically every day. To continue to be surprised that mass shootings happen is an indication that your continuum of harm is off. Like your, your assessment of harm is off. I don't know how to connect. Hey, saying things like you throw like a girl or boys don't cry or. Oh, she deserved it. Yeah. What were you wearing? What were you wearing? How, why did you stay out so late? Those very types of phrases. It's tough to convince people that those are just as harmful as like getting murdered at a rock concert or a country concert or whatever that was. But it's important to understand that it's all on the same continuum of harm and the frequency of which the phrases she deserved it. That type of masculinity, that type of attitude supports things like rape and it supports things like murder. And that's why, I mean, it's just a small piece of this web of oppression that we, ch- we shift our language and attitudes. It'll eventually sort of tear the entire thing down. I think about the way we use language and how, how men can fit into that too. Like how men can disrupt that, mm-hmm. that kind of small start of the continuum or even this big start of the continuum as well. For me, I guess when I hear really awful things said, like the word bit, or word like, oh, I got, I got raped or I raped that person in a video game or whatever. There's this weird, like, I don't feel like I'm harmed because I have the privileges of not feeling that, but there's this weird thing in my gut all the time of I need to say something or this is wrong. This is awful. And I need to say something. And then when I don't, there's this weird like thought these thoughts coming in they're actually rational thoughts i think actually not weird that i'm like why why didn't i say something or what could i have said i guess as men can get to that point of speaking up and saying no that's not okay especially to other men then i think we're shifting the continuum a little bit we're going to continue to run into this idea of how much silence within the culture of men you can kind of draw a direct line to silence or from silence to a lot of the problems within masculinity. And you and I had this conversation about what the difference between complicit and complacent is. Complicit is sort of like this, well, I might butcher this definition. Yeah, just keep going. (laughs) Complicit (laughs) is like this sort of active condoning of a negative action or behavior. So being complicit by laughing at a rape joke is an act of violence that supports rape culture. And complacent would be like not laughing maybe walking out of the room or something like that. But there isn't sort of a direct intervention to tell that person that they shouldn't make those jokes in the first place. Um, And therefore the status quo, which is rape culture, continues on uninterrupted. So when I think about the way that manifests in dudes, there's some level of... I, th- I think that there's a, there's a level of consciousness amongst men as a whole that there's uneasiness. There's some sort of something wrong with masculine culture. Like I truly believe most men are cognizant of the fact and idea that rape culture is a thing that exists, but there's a level of denial in our complicity and complacency in upholding it. And it showed up a lot when I was presenting to all of the new members of fraternities a couple of weeks ago, we were there specifically to talk about masculinity and they argued that they should be able to call each other because it's like, I know him and 
you know, it's a term of endearment. We're so comfortable with each other that we can use that kind of language and not be negatively impacted by it. And they do all of these mental loops to justify their complicity and their active work within being able to say anything or do anything just amongst their boys. That's the level of denial, I think, because that wasn't showing up as in like, I'm innocent in this whole deal. It's showing up as I know that this is wrong, but I'm going to defend it anyway. That's the location of the work that we have to do in terms of how do we reach those dudes who are on the lower end of the continuum of harm in my estimation, because it's mostly language and attitudes, although maybe it's more middle. They're not going to go out. I don't think that guy's going to go out and kill someone. And I really don't think he's going to go out and rape someone. But getting people to understand, men in particular, to understand that like using the words fag and pussy shapes attitudes that supports violent crimes. You kind of mentioned like male guilt and male denial. And I think that comes with kind of the privilege of saying that. I think we think about male guilt and denial when it comes to that, because it's, yeah, like you said, like they know that there's something culturally prevalent and wrong with with saying put or but I guess there's some power that they want to have to say it too. Like they want to claim that as their kind of thing that they want to do within the, their friendships and relationships within the fraternity or elsewhere. And then I think that can really manifest to further oppression outside of those groups. Like even if like I was in the fraternity for some reason, for some reason, um, and then like, but I was also in men in the movement and understood the meanings of how that's really awful and problematic. I would be very uncomfortable being called a or a and I have been called those. And I think my comfortability has changed a lot. I remember like these notions of, oh, it's Jake Glietti. And it's like, that's not even my correct pronunciation of my last name. But I see how that can even catch on and go, oh my God, that's like a funny thing or that's a great thing. But then how does it manifest to other people that don't have those privileges of being a cis hetero white dude? And how does it manifest this culture that we think is, has, does not exist on a continuum of harm? The denial and guilt piece of it too is in my presentation to all those fraternity men, they even said that this is language is normalized in our community. They use the word normalized and immediately followed up with that doesn't make it right, but it's normalized. And that to me was such a, I had to take a moment, you know, like, that indicates some level of consciousness and awareness from all of these dudes, I think, from mom- if not all of them, at least half. Um, you know, if half of them stood up and said, we're going to change this, then it'll change. You know, it honestly doesn't even take half. I think it takes less than that. I think one of the pivotal moments of my social justice journey and a lot of people's journeys through this kind of stuff is how important language is and how the small things matter. I always constantly have conversations with men, groups of men specifically. I ask them, you know, what's the difference between girl and woman? What happens when you say you guys? There is a difference between male versus men. There are people that get hurt when you say that's so gay. There are coded language in the word thugs, you know, um, a very common phrase is you're oversensitive or you're overreacting. Um, and that transcends a lot of identities as well. Yeah. Even like conversations about, Oh, you just use the race card. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. Cause that, whatever you said was racist <laughs> <Yeah>. like, <laughs> or con- you're contributing to racism. I've been trying to say that more instead of saying you're a racist. Yeah. That's more effective. People sure. get hella defensive. So it's almost like denial and also like this avoidance mechanism to have these conversations that I think really need to happen. But it all, like you said, it exists on this continuum and it really affects everyone. 
whether that's negative impact or positive impact, um, mostly negative. But I think we definitely, through our complacency and complicity, almost ignore that there's a continuum that exists and how I think specifically men like to uphold this continuum and how our society and our system has uphold this continuum as well and has done not enough work to address it. This continuum exists, but doesn't exist at the same time because of the way our society functions through our white supremacist and patriarchal system. What do you mean by exist and doesn't exist at the same time? Like, I think we, I guess, as people don't think of violence as a continuum because no one talks about it that way. Okay. And no one thinks about violence in that sort of way unless you're, you were taught it. Like, Give me an example. Like, I think about how if I were never to walk into an ethnic studies or women's studies class or even this gender and communication class I'm in right now, I would have never known about the impacts of violence and how it shapes our society. Through language? Through language, through experiences. And when I think about the... I don't know. There's hundreds of laws that regulate women's bodies, right? Like that's not, mm-hmm. that's not women dying necessarily, but it is an act of violence against women's bodies. Right. Like it, the more we phrase things like saying, don't be a f- or, you know, your backpack is gay. If we frame that as violence towards the LGBTQ community, I wonder how people will shift the way they think about the language that they use. I definitely have said things to people when they say something like problematic. Like I remember having a conversation with my friend and he kept spouting the word bit just because he thought it was something that would bring out laughter and it Mm. just made things more uncomfortable. But I think if I labeled it as something harmful that they actually thought about it. Okay. And if you label something as harmful or violent and you say like, you can do better than that, then I think people will listen. But when you frame it as something different, I don't know if it takes the same effect, but it also might vary based on who you're talking to as well. So you found it in your experience connecting the we'll call it the lower end of continuum of harm. I can't think of it anything different. The language end of the continuum of harm. If you are talking to somebody and you sort of label it as violence in your experience, that's been an effective way to reframe what they're saying. Yeah, I think so. I I think that's like, I've usually, it's the way I respond to it is that like, I say like, oh, you're contributing to this certain toxic culture. Our system of oppression. Our system of oppression, right. I'll say like, if my friend said something racist or homophobic, I'll be like, you're contributing to things that are pretty racist and you're contributing to a system that we usually kind of uphold as white supremacy. So I would think about that a little more. And I think you're better than that. I think you could say a better word. That's cool. And I think as men, we have our work cut out for us because we set up the system of patriarchy, you know, white supremacy and heteronormativity are systems that we have set up in this country and we have to operate in social justice spaces under those systems. And so even the very act of where we're looking, the way we're sitting, if, it, if you're like zoning out and you happen to be looking at a woman's butt, like that is an act of violence. Particularly on a college campus, I see since there are students scheduled on a weekly basis in certain places, like they have to be at the front at the info desk every week at the same time, or they have to be at the front desk of our office every week at the same time. That's why we hold on to the schedules, right? Like because it makes them an easy target for people to just go up to and talk with. That is stalking, right? And so we mm-hmm. as men in social justice have to be very careful about the way we show up in spaces where people are scheduled to have to work, particularly women, and be very cognizant of the language that we use in those spaces. And 
And it's hard. And I think men cause a lot of harm in social justice spaces and almost get away with it to some degree because we know how valuable it is to have cis white straight men in these movements. I mean, that's why we need this kind of podcast. That's why we need this kind of community so that we can call each other out on that kind of stuff and to take some of the labor off of women and women of color and queer folks. And hopefully that's something that we accomplish today. Yeah, definitely. And that will do it for this episode of Do You Even Lift Bro? Men Exercising Social Justice. If you have feedback, thoughts, comments, questions, or want to be interviewed for a podcast, please email WGAC at colostate.edu. That's WGAC at C-O-L-O-S-T-A-T-E dot E-D-U. Huge shout out to the partnership between the Women and Gender Advocacy Center and KCSU here at Colorado State University. You all are the people that allow this podcast to happen and we couldn't do it without you. For more content about masculinities, check out meninthemovement.blogspot.com and for more information about the WGAC, go to wgac.colostate.edu. For more KCSU content, go to kcsufm.com. Music production by Xavier Hadley, aka Zavley. Check him out at soundcloud.com slash Xavier Hadley. That's X-A-V-I-E-R-H-A-D-L-E-U-I. Thanks for listening, you all. Deuces. Always, <coughs> fucking a. You should do like warm up exercises in the mornings on Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mm, I also imagine that's probably what a lot of dudes think we sound like anyway.